The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. The message this morning is about the kinsman redeemer. This is, we think of it as Old Testament language because it first appears there. And it has to do with the responsibility of all God's people for one another. And it also is fulfilled ultimately through Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Bible presents a person as our salvation. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9, it says that God's testimony concerning his son is what we have been called to believe. And what he tells us is that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been, has been given eternal life for us so that he could give us eternal life. I need to read uh, Leviticus 25, 25 through 7. Listen to this. I think you're all probably been exposed to this, but this is an amazing truth. In Leviticus 25, which is the book, the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and it's the, it's the one that's all about God's stipulations about how his priests, for example, and the high priests are to behave and, behave and to carry out his will. And this is what it says in verses 25 through 27. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property. I must say that his property was what God had given him. God gave every family within his chosen people, Israel, he gave them a particular parcel of land in the promised land. And so when they went in, they all got their land. So they couldn't really sell the land. It was always theirs. In fact, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee, if you remember that. Uh, there were three sevens. Three sevens is what? 49, that's right. It's 49 years. On the 50th year, you had the year of Jubilee. And this is what happened. If somebody got into debt and there was a lien against their property, which God had given them, that land became theirs again. It was set free from that bondage. And so this is what he said, if a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he has to sell part of his property, and what he means by that, they have to rent out part of their property because it's going to come back to them in the year of Jubilee. He says, then his nearest kinsman, that is the person who is related closest to him and is able and is willing is to come and buy back what his, his relative has. Or in the case of a man, a man has no kinsman, but so recovers his means so as to be sufficient for its redemption. In other words, if there was no relative who was willing to pay his debt in order to get him back into the full uh, ownership of his property. He goes on, then he says, then he shall calculate the years, its sale and refund, the balance of the man to whom he sold it and so returned his property. What he means by that is 50 years, that's all you could have of somebody's property. It doesn't matter how much you paid him. After 50 years, when, when, the, when the three sevens took place, 49 years, and when they went into the 50th year, it was the year of Jubilee, and all the land would be returned to its owner, his rightful owner, the one who, to whom God gave that land. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great instead of having to pay off your mortgage? It was just if you could wait till the 50th year, you might almost have to do that to pay it off, huh? But in the 50th year, it would return to the owner because God had given him that land. Well, this is this person who does this is called a kinsman redeemer. The way that the person was qualified, he was the closest of kin 
unless there was somebody closer than he was, but he goes to him, like, if you remember, Boaz did this in regard to Ruth, if you remember that story in Ruth. And Boaz went and met another man who was closer in kin to Ruth, and he told him, would you like to fulfill your obligation as kinsman redeemer? And by the way, you'll have to marry Ruth. She's going to be your wife, because that was a part of the law. And he said, I can't do it. I can't be a, a, the kinsman redeemer for this because I would, I would be uh, sacrificing my own inheritance. And so Boaz says, okay, then I will be the kinsman redeemer. And they went through a little ceremony that it was clear to the whole leadership that he was now the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. And so he did everything that was necessary for him to fulfill this obligation of setting her free. And in fact, he married her and had children by her, and she had a child who was the father of the father of David, who was the father, ultimately, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was the kinsman redeemer. So every time you hear the word redemption, understand that the word that we have in the New Testament is the same exact word as used in the Old Testament concerning the, the kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. This is why the incarnation was important. Jesus became a brother of yours. He became related to you through the incarnation. He became a human being. And in fact, the Bible says, what, what God testifies to, is that he is the one who has everything that you need. And salvation is a person. It's not a system. Now, there are certain systems of theology that, that people hold. I hold a certain uh, system of theology. However, salvation is not a system. Some people get upset because they, their system says that the way that, the, that what Christ has done is parceled out to people is in a certain way. And, and people can get upset about that. And they, so they want to divide up what Christ has accomplished and, and parcel it out through their system. But we have a person who is the Savior. Our salvation is a person. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So this emotionally rich sense of acceptance with God is based on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you become related to Christ through faith, and this is God's plan, that everyone that comes to be related to Christ is related to Christ through faith. You can't merit it. You can't buy it. You can't acquire it any other way except through faith. That is, you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your kinsman, redeemer, and you receive salvation. You are set free from that. Our kinsman, redeemer, then, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek because Greek was the, was the language of the, of the Roman Empire. People spoke primarily in Greek, even though Latin was the official language of some parts of it. Everybody spoke Greek, just like today. In most places you go, people can understand English. It's one of the best-known languages. And uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday who didn't think he could speak uh, English, uh, and I asked him a couple of questions, and he actually did fine. But he didn't think he was pr pronouncing the words properly because I spoke English, and so he was a little intimidated by that. When I... When I was back in seminary, in order to get into seminary, you had to pass a test in Greek. You had to be able to read certain portions of the, of the New Testament. 
And the primary one was 1 John. You had to be able to read 1 John in, in Greek and translate it. That was a requirement to get into the school. And that was a lot of fun, uh, learning how to do that. I one time said uh, in a church meeting, I was talking and I said, I was mentioning that I'd gone to this particular seminary, Talbot Seminary, and I said, uh, I majored in Greek. I don't know why I said that. It was just a little ego trip I had. And a man came up to me after the service. He started speaking to me in some language I didn't know. You know, it sounded like a, it sounded like a Spanish, like a romantic language of some kind. And uh, I said, I don't understand you. And she says, I thought you majored in Greek. I said, well, I did, but I don't, I don't understand modern Greek. It's completely, it sounds completely different. And so I apologized. I ate my, uh, my poor, terrible, horrible pride because I was trying to make him be impressed with the fact that I majored in Greek. Well, the thing about Greek is that, that the words of the Old Testament are in Hebrews, in, in, the, in the language of Hebrew, but what they did in about 138 B, uh, B.C., 138 years before the coming of Christ, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. It was called a Septuagint. And guess what word they used in the Septuagint for the word redemption and a redemption kinsman? They used the same word that's used of Jesus Christ in redeeming us from our sins. What Jesus did was he redeemed us as a kinsman redeemer. He actually acknowledges, all of you believers, he acknowledges that he knows you. Isn't that something? That he acknowledges that he knows you? So that when you see him, he won't, be, he won't say, well, hi, my name is Jesus. Let me introduce myself. I'd like to get to know you. What's your name? Oh, no, he knows you because he is your kinsman redeemer. He's the closest of kin who was willing and able to pay your debt for sin. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. So in both the Old and New Testaments, this word redemption is personal and it is family-oriented. It's a family member who steps in to pay your debt. Now, sometimes I don't like that idea. I mean, there have been times when I didn't like the idea that somebody expected me to get them out of a mess. I never had to do that, but if I, if I did, I would be a little upset about that. And I know some of you have experienced that. But the fact is, under the system that God had, that's what he did. He said, one of your kinsmen must come and stand in your place as the person who will deliver you from this debt and poverty. Or if you were killed, he would, he would be the one who had to take care of whatever was necessary. He had to relieve you of of this horrible situation. He couldn't raise you from the dead, but he could get, he could get the, the penalty placed upon the person who did it. Well, that was a kinsman redeemer. Now, some schools of thought, as we said, some theological systems, like to be very precise about how the grace of God in salvation is dispensed to people. How do, un, un, how do non-Christians get a hold of this salvation? And so they have a very specific way of dealing with it. But let me tell you, the most important thing is it's you understanding the kinsman redeemer. You understanding that this kinsman redeemer of yours is related to you and he has freely and, and totally identified himself with you. And he's the one who gives you salvation. It's interesting, in, in 1 John chapter 5, he says, uh, this is God's testimony concerning his son. 
And if you believe men, the word of men, you should believe the word of God because God will never lie. And so you can trust him. And this is what he says about his son. He said his, his son has eternal life. And if you want eternal life, you can only get it from one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says that this is how you get it. You get it by faith. You get it by receiving him because this life is in him. This is what he says. The, the testimony is this, that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ, and he who has Christ has the life, and he who does not have Christ does not have the life because this eternal life is in Jesus Christ. So it's a matter of receiving Christ. We use that kind of language from time to time. You need to receive Christ. He's your only solution to your problem. He's the only solution to your situation because in Christ, there is eternal life. And when you receive Christ, you receive eternal life. That is the the result of his payment for your sins so that you have a close, abiding, and eternal relationship with the living God. And you will spend eternity with him by simply putting your faith in Christ. So he is our kinsman redeemer. So directly from him, we receive redemption. He is our kinsman redeemer and his redemption. Let me read this to you. This is 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, directly from him, you yourselves are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, both righteousness and sanctification and family redemption. That's a translation of this word redemption, apolutrosis. It's the redemption that comes from the kinsman redeemer. And he says in Christ, that's where we find it. Now, the, the, the personal relationship versus a religious system is amazing because, see, you can't love a system in fact, you can hate a system. I have discovered that some people hate us. When they find out what system of theology you have, they may get really upset. I went over to a, some people's house because they were having trouble with this, and I thought I could simply convince them that this, this, is, this is exactly what the Bible teaches. But they couldn't get over it. They left our church because they couldn't stand to, to, to hear this system. And I learned something. They need Christ. They don't need the system. They need Christ. That's what we all need. We need Christ because in him is eternal life. And so uh, it's directly from him that you yourselves are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, both righteousness and sanctification and family redemption. That's where we got our redemption is from our union with the Lord Jesus Christ because he has eternal life. This is God's witness. This is God's testimony that Jesus Christ has eternal life. And if you have Christ, you have eternal life. And then he goes on and he talks about this, this, this person, Jesus, uh, deals with our past, our present, and our future. The, he, it's Jesus who brings deliverance because that's what the kinsman redeemer does. He brings deliverance to our lives, both past, present, and future. And if you notice what, what he says, what he's going to say here is he, first of all, he says, our past deliverance was taken care of Christ, according to Romans 3, 23 and through 26. This is what it says, for all have sinned in the past. All have sinned. It's a perfect tense, which means that everyone fell into this sin of, of distancing themselves from God. For all have sinned, and then he says, and are continually falling short of God's righteousness. He says, being... Uh, we, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift 
It's a gift from this kinsman redeemer as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. All that means, that's a big word, propitiation, but all it means is this. What, God, what Christ did for you satisfied God in regards to you so that you have a standing before God that he is totally satisfied with who you are in your relationship with him because of your faith in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's a glorious truth. You can't earn this. You can't practice righteousness and say, well, I have been living, I've been going to this church for 56 years, so I know that I'm okay with God. Well, you may not be, because that's not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is having Christ. Christ is your kinsman redeemer. He is the one who's provided for you. In the past, it says, we have been justified. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, God passed over the sins previously committed. Get that? He passed over the sins previously committed for the, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, you all know what a crooked judge is, and you've seen this on, portrayed on TV at different times where a judge, what he does as the judge is shows that he's not righteous. He lets someone go that he should have convicted. We've seen this happen in the not-too-distant future where someone was convicted of something and the sentence that the judge gave him was so small, everybody was up in arms. And that's how people would be when you stop and listen to what, what God does. And when we read the New Testament, we see what Jesus does with sinners. It's alarming to us. How can he love people who deserve hell? Well, that's like saying, what is he? how can he love you? How can he love me? How can he love us? It's because of our kinsman redeemer and his righteousness being given to us. And so he says that we have been delivered in the past through the work of Christ. And he says that we are, being, we are experiencing a deliverance in the present through the same person. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this. I'm writing these things to you. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. I don't want you to sin. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. Now, let me explain what sin is. Sin is rebelliousness against God. It's not necessarily rebelliousness against opinions that some people have. It's rebellious, rebelliousness against God who has given us exactly what righteousness is. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, and that's for sure, isn't it? If anyone does sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, I hate to tell you this, but advocate means lawyer. It means someone called alongside you to protect you, called alongside you to represent you. And he says, if you do sin, believer, you have an advocate with the Father. Now, I've, I found this out by looking at the text a long time ago. It totally shocked me that, that that expression that he uses there in 1 John 2 is this. If anyone does sin while he is sinning, he has an advocate with the Father. And all I mean by that is he is your advocate and he's representing you before the Father. And what he appeals to is not your actions. What he appeals to is your Savior your kinsman redeemer. Christ has paid for that sin. 
That's what he's saying. And so he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and he is the, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction. He satisfies a holy God in regards to our sins. And he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, there's nobody outside of the parameter of, of receiving this forgiveness through Christ if they simply believe on him. Believe on him. Receive this kinsman redeemer, and he will make you right with God. And so this is the perseverance of the Savior. When we talk about, you know, some people talk about the, the uh, eternal security, and others call it the perseverance of the saints. And what they mean by that is this, that if you get saved, you will believe for all the future. You will never get away from that. But the better way to say it is, this is the perseverance of the Savior. You think he can lose anybody? Have you ever followed people that you were afraid they were going to lose somebody? I'm talking about driving in a car. My wife sometimes thinks I'm going to lose her, and she's inside the car. But, but you've seen this. I've followed Mitch up a hill before, like walking, and I can tell you it was easy for him to lose you. Jesus never loses anyone that belong to him. If you have become his, he will keep you to the very end. And he is your representative. He is the one who appeals to the Father. And his appeal is not, you know, they're not a, he's not a bad guy. She's not a bad woman. That's not his appeal. His appeal is, I paid the price to set them free. I've already paid the price to set them free. There's an old country Christian song called, uh, it's in the song, the person is, is in heaven with Christ and they're confessing their sins to him. And then in a country twang, Jesus sings, <laughs> what sins are you talking about? I don't seem to remember them anymore. Why is that? That's just somebody's idea, but that's what the Bible teaches. He doesn't seem to remember those sins he's forgiven. And you know how it is that sometimes you get this idea that when you confess your sins, God wants you to really, really beat your chest and say how sorry you are and what a slime bucket you are and how you don't deserve his salvation, but you confess the sin to him. That's not what he wants you to do. He simply wants you to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. Or to go to the Father and say, Father, I've sinned against you. And I thank you for forgiveness. Because right in that same passage in 1 John Chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we, believers, confess our sins, he, God, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. He said he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that something? That a believer can be forgiven for his sins and you don't have to inflict the penalty on yourself? That you can simply come to him and confess your sins and say, Father, I've been unfaithful to you. I know that you know it. I know you saw it, and you know what I did, and I confess it to you. And what happens? He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness is a bigger term than sins. Unrighteousness covers every kind of wrongdoing there is. Sins are specific acts of rebellion against God's proclaimed will. God commanded me to love my wife like he loved the church. That's a command. If I fail to do that, I've sinned. I hate to break that to you guys. 
But that's the way it is. If you, if you fail to love your wife the way Christ loved the church, and how is that? He was willing to die for her. If you do that, you have sinned. But let me tell you, you can confess that sin. Confessing that sin means that you tell him exactly what you did, and you know that it's sin, and you know you need forgiveness. And he, it says he is faithful and just. You would think it would say, he is merciful and he's soft and so he'll forgive you. It doesn't say that. He says he is faithful and just, which means righteous. He is righteous. It's the righteous thing for God to forgive you of your sins as a believer when you confess those sins. He forgives you. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Everything that would be polluting in your life. That's what he does. Now, that's not the way people th would come up with. They wouldn't come up with a plan like that. But that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And the redemption that we have received is the, redeem is the, is the redemption that is described for us in the kinsman redeemer. It is a picture of our salvation. It's a family, personal redemption. Jesus has identified himself with us, just like the kinsman redeemer had to be the closest relative who was able and willing to set them free. Jesus Christ is the closest relationship you have, believer, of, of someone who is able and willing to set you free. I, uh, I've told you this before, but Trip Lee had a message in which he said... Uh, you know, if you want to be healed, he was preaching a passage. He's a, Tripoli is a rapper, but he's a Christian, and he preaches sometimes at his church. And so he's, he was preaching on healing. He was preaching on a passage that talked about God healing someone. And he says, he said this, that in order to be healed, you can only be healed by somebody who is able and willing. He's able to heal you, and he's willing to heal you. And then he said, it's kind of like Comcast. They are able to give you a good TV picture, but they're not willing. But the redemption that we receive is this redemption of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given himself as your kinsman redeemer to pay your debt so you could be set free from the penalty that comes as a result of sin. And that's why he wants you to tell people you know, I remember talking to a guy at a used car lot in, in Berkeley. I was in this guy's office. He happened to be my cousin. I was talking to him, and he had a friend there. And so he started asking me questions, and he got me to share the gospel with this guy by asking me all these questions. And so I did. I told him all about it. I told him what the Bible taught. I told him what would happen if he put his faith in Christ. And the guy said to me, you really believe that stuff, don't you? And I said, I absolutely do. I do believe it. I've experienced it, and I've seen others experience it, that God provides a salvation simply through faith in his Son. This is what 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 is implying, is that, that, that God's testimony about his Son is, my Son has eternal life, and all who have my Son have eternal life. So if you receive him into your life, you will have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? That's exactly what he says. That's why I believe it. I know it's true. I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in other people's lives, that God 
will give us not only forgiveness, but he will be absolutely propitiated toward us. He will be absolutely satisfied that what we have in Christ is everything that we need. Everything we need. And that's, that's why my Redeemer is faithful and true. And he's our kinsman Redeemer. And he died for you. And he wants you to know, he wants to know that you really have received him and that you know in your heart what this means. And so you share it with others. How could you possibly withhold this from anybody that you come to have a relationship with and know that they don't know Christ, they don't know his forgiveness? How could you possibly not share with them the reality of who Christ is? That's the only thing that we could possibly do, isn't it? We want them to come to know forgiveness the way that we have experienced it through faith in Jesus Christ. He, we have received the very life that was in Christ, and now it's in us as well. And that's what he said. This is, this is the testimony of God concerning his son. In him is eternal life. And whoever has the son has the life. And whoever does not have the son does not have the life. You need Christ. You don't have to become what we are. That is, you, you know, I don't, we're not really Baptists, but we're Baptistic. And it's not like you've got to become a Baptist to, to be saved. You have to, you have to come to have Jesus Christ. And he's available. He's available. He has made himself available for all who need him. If you call upon him, he will come to you and he will give you this life that is in him. It's the most life-changing, wonderful experience that you could ever have. And so think of him as the kinsman redeemer. He's the one who has drawn close to you. And what would it take for some, one of your, some of you, all of your relatives to get close to where you're at? Some of you have relatives that are way far away. And for them to come, just guess where Jesus came? Jesus came from the third heaven to this earth to be our kinsman redeemer. And when we believed on him, he came to live within us. And he paid our debt. He paid our debt. And so we are free, totally free. And he wants us to use our freedom to tell others about who he is and what he will do for them. And that's not what I hope you do this, this, this week, this month, this year. Let's pray. Our Father, we are a people who've been broken by sin. We have been enslaved by sin. And yet you, in your grace, have brought to us this message concerning your Son, in whom is eternal life. And you gave us this gift. Thank you for opening our eyes and giving us sight to see that this is our kinsman redeemer and he is able to set us free. We thank you for that, Father. We will always, always sing praises to your name for this glorious work that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We praise your name and I pray that you would motivate us, each one of us, Father, this week to have our eyes open and to see the people in our lives who desperately need to know Christ, who desperately need to receive from him this glorious gift of eternal life, forgiveness, propitiation, and eternal life. We pray that you would do that in us and through us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.